If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of John, specifically chapter 8. And we come this morning to a portion of the Gospel in which there is at least one very familiar verse. There are several things in this passage that are familiar to many of us. They even are familiar to our society at large. And they can seem to be aphorisms or philosophical statements, but they are not. They are statements of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so do not let your familiarity with this passage deny you an understanding of what Jesus is saying throughout it. This is from our Lord Jesus Christ. He is telling us about the necessity of His work in our lives and of the efficacy of His work in our lives. That without the grace of Jesus Christ, we are hopelessly lost, enslaved to sin. But by Jesus and His finished work, we can be freed from the guilt, the penalty, and the power of sin. If you would please... Give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. That we might behold the marvel of your word. The grace of our Savior. The work of your spirit. Lord, Help us to praise you more and more for how wondrous you are the more we know you from your word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We value our freedom. It's one of the things that Americans take their greatest pride in, that we are a free people. We also don't like being told what to do. Even from the earliest age, we don't like to be told how we must do something, when we must do something, what we must do. And we see this in the struggles of families as children start to become adults. There is a tension between those who are formerly children and who are now becoming full-fledged adults. And there is a tendency of parents to want to control, and a tendency of young people to want to be completely independent. But more than that, we hate the idea of being slaves to our circumstances. We don't like having to do things because of what is around us. If there's anything we want, it's to be in control. So it's a shocking statement here when Jesus tells us that unless we are his disciples... And we know the truth, that we are not free. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking to those whom John says, believed him. This is not some generic saying that knowledge is power, or that education is our hope. No, Jesus is telling people, just like you and me, that we must abide in his word. And know him in order to be free. And that presupposes that apart from Jesus, we are not free. We are slaves. And understanding that is the first step to freedom. So this morning I would like us to see three things that Jesus teaches us from this text. The first thing that we see is that sin enslaves us. Sin makes slaves of us. But more than that, secondly, sin also deceives us. Part of the slavery that we are under is the deception that sin pulls over our eyes. But thirdly, finally, and most gloriously, we see that Jesus frees us. That we need not remain slaves to sin. That we need not remain deceived. But that Jesus Christ has come and accomplished his work that we might be free from sin. Well, let's begin then by looking at the teaching that sin enslaves us. Now remember, Jesus has been over the last two chapters debating the Pharisees. He's been saying very sharp things to them and the crowd. Things like in verse 24. 
I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's not exactly seeker sensitive. He's saying, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. It's confrontational. It's challenging. Jesus has been telling them that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. He says this again in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. So the result of Jesus' challenging statements, John tells us in verse 30, is that many believed in him. Now, as we have been going through the Gospel of John, we have seen this over and over again so often that I, I don't even feel like I must repeat this, but I will. And that is John shows us the difference between a true faith in Jesus and a fickle or changing profession of faith in Jesus. Over and over again, we see people are said to believe when in reality they do not. And that is the case here. We will see later in this chapter, in verse 59, that some of those who believe in Jesus pick up stones to kill him. And so there are some who say they believe who do not. And once again, Jesus is showing us the difference between true faith and a show of faith. Well, Jesus shows the Jews and you and me the path to freedom. Look with me at verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is very offensive to his listeners. They don't take to this well. Why? Well, because his statement implies that they're not free. They have to abide in him. They have to abide in his word. They have to be his disciples. And if they are not, they will not be free. That's why the Jews respond so sharply to Jesus in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They say, we've never been enslaved. Now, this is an interesting point here. I have to think in my sanctified imagination that there were some, perhaps some of Jesus' disciples, that had to fight to hold back a chuckle here. When I read this text, I have to hold back a chuckle. Because if there's anything that defines the Jews of this period, it's that they're enslaved. I mean, they're under Roman rule. They don't get to make their own laws. They have to pay taxes to the Romans. They have to do what the Romans do. They're not in charge of their own state. They're in the definition of slavery. And if you know anything about the history of Israel, it's almost as if there's been no people who've been enslaved as much as the Israelites. I mean, starting back in the days of slavery in Egypt. And then from Egypt, they traveled to the Promised Land. And then we remember the stories in the book of Judges, how they came under the heel of differing tribe after tribe. We remember the times of war with the Philistines, in which they were under the Philistines. And then, of course, they were under the Assyrians and under the Babylonians. It defines them. So what are they saying here? We've never been enslaved. Well, I think what they're doing and it's helpful to us because it makes Jesus' point, is they're saying inwardly, spiritually, we're free. You know, you can't keep a good Pharisee down, is what they're saying. 
You can press us down. You can tax us. But you can't keep us down. You know, parents understand what this is like. Have you ever had the occasion, there's a story of a family where a child is, is in a high chair and, and they're getting a little bit older and they, they stand up in the high chair to eat and mom says, sit down and pushes the child down. And the child stands back up and, and mom says, sit down and puts the child down. And the child stands back up and mom says, you're going to sit down and sits the child down. And the child looks at mom and says, I'm standing up on the inside. You see, that's their mentality here. They think that because they are Jews, because they are descended from Abraham, they are gods and therefore they are free. They're thinking of their spiritual state. There is a statement from the Mishnah. We've seen this before. It's kind of a commentary on the law, on the Old Testament, that goes this way. Even the poorest Israelite is a free man who has lost his possessions because he is a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jesus here corrects them on exactly that point. They're playing right into Jesus' hands. Look at verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, whenever you see truly, truly from Jesus saying that, that's a listen up. That's bold. That's highlight in your Bible. Listen up to this point. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying this is the greatest slavery that you can have, to be a slave to sin. Now, I am not denigrating, I am not downplaying how horrible it is to be a slave to another person or to the government. We see and we hear stories of bondage that are painful, humiliating, and just wrong. But the bondage that Jesus is talking about is worse. It's a bondage of the heart. It's a bondage you can't get away from. You can't get on a plane and flee. You can't get on a boat and go. You can't get in a car and drive away. Because there's a habit that wherever you go, there you are. And so if your heart is bound by sin, you cannot escape it. No matter what the circumstances are, slavery to sin is inescapable. Well, what does this slavery look like? Slavery to sin is a bondage that reaches down into the heart. It makes us desire to sin. Even when we know it's not right. Even when we know that sinning will turn out badly. Now, make no mistake here. Jesus is not saying that we're all basically good people who occasionally make mistakes. No. It's not just the worst of people who are slaves to sin. When we hear this language of being a slave to sin, we think of drug addicts or of drunkards or of gamblers, people who undertake sinful actions over and over again, and they're addicted. They need therapy, not us. We're not like them. But in the reality, Jesus is saying it's all of us. Our desires are sinful because we are sinners. You've heard me say it before and it bears repeating. We sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. The root in us is sin and actual sin proceeds from it. Outside of Christ, we are enslaved to sin. Calvin puts it this way. He says, being enslaved to the desires of the flesh 
they continually sinned. Perhaps even better is to quote the Apostle Paul. Paul reminds us that before the grace of Christ came to us, we were slaves of sin in Romans chapter 6. Now, this does not mean that we have no will. Some read this commentary, some think about this concept and say, well, if we're slaves to sin, if we can't do anything but sin, then we're not responsible. And so you can't blame us. But that's not how this works. You have to understand this. Permit me to do just a little bit of theology with you to help you. When we sin, we don't sin of compulsion. No one is putting a gun to your head and saying, you must cheat on your spouse. You must steal that money. You must lie. It's not a compulsion. It's rather a necessity. Now, what do I mean by that? Our wills are free in the sense that we can act, but all we desire is sin because we are slaves to sin. We look at two options and we always pick the sinful option. Because it appeals to us. Because of who we are and our nature. All our wills want is sin. Apart from Christ, we can choose, but we only choose sin. Now, think about this for a moment. You don't need to teach a child to be selfish. I'll give the new parents a tip here. You do not need to teach your daughter the word, Mine! It will just come out. You will teach her mama, you will teach her dada, you will teach her grandma and grandpa or whatever names you have for relatives. You don't need to teach her mine. Selfishness is bound up in our nature. It's who we are and why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may say that's crazy. Why would people choose sin all the time? Yes, it is crazy. It makes no sense at all, but it's a result of our depravity. It's a result of the sin that we have inherited. It makes no sense to disobey God. It makes no sense to reject the life that God has given to us. Why do we do it? Because we're slaves, Jesus says. Because it's bound up in us. And that is why the greatest work in the world is to show people their slavery and to set them free by bringing them to Jesus. It's more important than any other form of equity or justice or freedom. Showing others Jesus, that they might be free from sin, is the greatest thing in the world. Now, we do sin because we're sinners, but our actual sins enslave us also. Now, think about an experience that you might have had with sin. Perhaps you thought once you could dabble in sin, that you could lie just once. And that would be the end of it. That you could take just one thing that didn't belong to you. And that would be the last time. That you could speak badly about someone else just on one occasion because of the circumstances. Are you able to do that? To sin and then to just stop sinning? No. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It always exposes you to more and more sin. You can't escape it. Imagine that you've done something wrong, and you know it. And someone comes to you and calls you out on it. What do you do? Well, so often you will lie to cover it up. And then what? You lie to cover up the lie. 
And then what? Perhaps you commit another sin to prevent the consequences of the first sin. You know, so many of the murders in our society are committed to cover up theft and lying and abuse, other sins. But don't believe your newspaper. Believe the scriptures. Isn't that the story of David and Bathsheba? That a sin brought David into lying and into murder. Sin is not something that we can easily stop, that we can hold as a pet. Jesus talks about this in verse 34. He says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's not as if we just have a sin nature. That sin nature produces a practice of sin. And the word here for practice is doing, acting. And it's a continuous kind of doing and acting. It's an over and over again. In us, sin is active. It seeks to further and further enslave you. Every sin is another link in the chains that hold you. Chains that you're not even aware that you have. Even when we think we've mastered sin, we know we haven't. It is possible to hide your sin. To live in such a way that others will not see it. That's, that your sin is not obvious. But the more we sin, the more we find ourselves enslaved. The more we find ourselves trapped in a pattern of sin over and over again. The theologian William Barclay puts it this way. Man who sins does not do what he likes. He does what sin likes. So far from doing what he likes, the sinner has lost the power to do what he likes. He is a slave to the habits, the self-indulgences, the wrong pleasures which have mastered him. Do you see this in your life? Do you want to be free from sin? Well, sin is not just enslaving, it's deceiving. And this is one of the ways that sin has a hold on us. It prevents us from seeing that we are slaves. The Jews responded to Jesus' challenging words by saying, we're not slaves. And why? Because they said, we're the children of Abraham. Now, what does that mean? Why is that an important retort? Because they knew that Abraham had a relationship with God. In fact, God had called Abraham out of all other people to have a relationship with him and to enter into covenant with him. And they were descended from Abraham, therefore... They said, we must be free. They trusted in their circumstances of life, in their physical descent from Abraham. And if we look at this closely, we see just how foolish this is. To claim that physical birth can overcome spiritual wickedness is foolish. As if the circumstances of our lives are more important than the reality of who we are. Is there some kind of magic in the blood of Abraham? But before we're too critical of the Jews, we can fall prey to the same way of thinking. We say, well, I'm a member of a church. My parents are members of a church. My grandparents were members. Or, or I go to a Christian school. My family regularly attends church. No, no, my family even goes to Sunday school. Now wait for it. We even go to evening service. You see, we must be free from sin. But we must be careful not to rest in the form of belief. It's not enough to look like a believer. 
Jesus says you have to abide in his word. You have to be his disciple. And then you will be free. So sin also deceives us, not just by our circumstances, but it deceives us to trust in our ability as well. The Jews say this in two ways. In verse 39 they say, Abraham is our father. And then in verse 41 they say, we have one father, even God. They say, look at us. We are different from you. That is their claim to fame. (coughs) That they're different from everyone around them. And they insult Jesus with rumors. Do you see that there in verse 41? We were not born of sexual immorality. You know, our mother wasn't with child out of wedlock. We don't have a so-called father. We are from a marriage. We are children of Abraham. And so they're comparing themselves to others and their ability to follow God. And this is something that affects us today. We look around and rate ourselves against others. And there is a sense in which today is one of the most dangerous times to profess Christ. Not in terms of persecution, but we can profess Christ and look around and achieve for ourselves how much better we are than people around us. Because if we look around us, people glory in their sin. When I was a young man, a young boy, people at least pretended to hide their sin. Now, it's on the front cover of the news. It's what they lead with. How they've done these things and they act in a certain way. They're proud of it. And so it's easy for us to look and say, we're not like her, we're not like him, we're not like them. To trust In our own ability, we give more to charity than other people do. We're not as rude as other people are. But if we don't look to God's word, if instead we're just satisfied with our own ability, then we're enslaved to sin. And Jesus responds sharply to their remarks. He says in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. You don't do the works of Abraham. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham greeted God. And he says, your hostility to me shows you are not like your father Abraham. In verse 37, he says, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. And so Abraham, Jesus will tell us, a little bit later in the chapter, rejoice to see Jesus' day. Now what does that mean? That means when God came to Abraham outside Sodom, Abraham rejoiced to hear the word of the Lord. He rejoiced to hear about the Savior. And yet here is the Savior standing right before the Jews, and they want to kill him. The defining characteristic of someone who is free from sin is that they love Jesus. It's not even the complete absence of sin in their life. We still fall prey to sin. We still stumble. But if you want to know if you are free from sin, think about how you greet Jesus. How you feel about Jesus. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to know him more? Do you praise him more? Do you want to tell others about him? 
That's the sign of someone free from sin. That brings us to our third and final point. It is a sad story that we are enslaved to sin. But praise be to God that He did not leave us in that bondage. Jesus comes to free us from sin. Now, how does Jesus free us? I think first and foremost, Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that even the smallest sin deserves the full wrath of God. James tells us that if we keep all of the law and yet fail at one point, we are guilty of all. Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve to experience the wrath of God. But Jesus took our place. He bore our penalty. He suffered the wrath of God so that we could be free from what sin deserves. Death. Peter says, you were ransomed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We're free from the penalty of sin. But Jesus also makes us free from the guilt of sin, from the guilt that weighs us down. Because the scripture tells us that our old self is dead with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That means you don't have to sin. You're not in bondage to sin anymore. You can resist sin. Now that doesn't mean you will never sin. But it does mean that you have been made a new creation in Christ. And this means you don't have to fear death. Jesus has tasted death for all who trust in him by faith. All who are the true children of Abraham, the father of all who believe. Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin, from the guilt of sin, and then also, wonderfully, from the power of sin. Paul writes in Romans 6 that sin no longer has dominion over you. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus is telling you he has set you free. That you no longer are under the power of sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Sin is no longer your master. Jesus Christ is your master. Righteousness is yours. And this means that not only do you not have to fear death, you don't have to fear life either. You have the power to live because of Jesus. The Spirit of God is at work in you to resist and defeat sin because Jesus has won the victory. Now what does this freedom look like? I think three things Jesus lays out for us here. First, in verse 42, If God were your Father, you would love me. This freedom looks like us loving Christ. That is the primary way that we see our freedom from sin. That we are freed from bondage. We are freed from our father, the devil. We are freed from the murderer. We are freed from the liar. And we are able to serve and love the Savior. 
Secondly, Jesus tells us in verse 43, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. He's telling this to those who do not believe in him. So think about the opposite of this. That those who believe in Jesus can bear to hear his word. And that's what freedom looks like. We hear God's word. We long for God's word. We want God's word. We want to be filled up with God's word. Does that describe your life? Do you want to read God's Word, meditate upon God's Word, memorize God's Word, share God's Word? You see, because that's what freedom from sin looks like. It's appreciating God's Word and the blessing that it is to us. And then thirdly, we can go back up to the beginning of our passage in verse 31. If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. We must obey God's Word. That word abide there is a word that Jesus will use later when he says that in order to have life, you must abide in me. It's a word that means to remain, to take root in. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, do not hear Jesus saying that you must believe in me and then you must keep my word and show yourself as my disciple and then God will will forgive you and love you. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is giving us here is not a condition of salvation, but evidence of salvation. That if we know Jesus, that if we have been set free, we are his disciples and we will abide in him. That's what he's saying. And that should encourage you. So if you long to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, even imperfectly, if you long to hear God's word, if you long to be with Jesus, then that is a hopeful sign that God is at work in your life even now. It is evidence of the freedom that Jesus gives. The battle with sin is real. If you struggle, know that there is hope. Hope is found in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free from sin and death. To know the truth, you must know Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you not only will not know the truth, you cannot know the truth. Do you see what Jesus says here in verse 45? Because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. Why is that? Well, in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. When you hear Jesus' word and abide in it, Jesus sets you free. You are then born of God, and then you hear the words of God. The struggle against sin may not be easy, but it is simple. Simple in that all that is needed is to believe in Jesus. When you do that, by God's grace, you are free. The Son has indeed set you free. Let's pray.